I brought two Bibles up here in case I didn't like one translation. I could go to the other. <laughs> uh, tomorrow, I'm, I'm excited to, to be at, with the uh, Prairie Harvest Church at, you heard, one in the afternoon till four to teach on prayer. It's my favorite subject to teach on, and uh, I really was blessed, with Alvin, with what you had to share. And the truth is that God, God is at work around us, and uh, we just need to come in to connect with what He is doing. I, personally, I think we all have a testimony. We all could be signing up here. Um, and I'm speaking to whether you're a Christian or not. You still have a testimony of your life. And uh, what I would say, what God's been doing in your life, preparing you for a time when you might uh, come to know him in a personal way. And uh, with myself, I, uh, I'm going to just pray. God, I pray your blessing here. I thank you, Father, that we all come with a desire to know you better. We thank you, Father, that you are at work in our lives, and we pray, God, just to have sensitivity to what you are seeking to bring us into. God, that your name would be exalted. So, Lord, I pray for your name to be exalted here now. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm with a ministry called National House of Prayer. How many of you have heard of that? So, so that's not bad. How many of you haven't heard of it? Oh, well, that's even better. <laughs> so we're, we're in Ottawa. We've been there since um, 2004. Uh, that's when uh, God moved us from pastoring a church in Vernon, British Columbia, to move out to Vernon, or to Ottawa, to establish prayer for government. Um, it, it's not an Ottawa house of prayer, but it's really there to pray for our government. And how many of you know that our government needs prayer? <laughs> usually get that and uh, <laughs> and please pray right now for the Senate uh, as a matter of fact as they deal with Bill C-16 uh, regarding transgender uh, issues and how it may affect Canadians pray for them pray God to give them wi wisdom and boldness and uh, that they stand for that which is good for our nation amen but um, so we've been there since 2004 in 2005, God brought us into a building. He showed us the building. Um, they, uh, I remember looking at it. It was, it was a former convent. I remember saying, oh, it's too big, and uh, it's going to cost way too much money. And um, Fran, of course, was assuring me, my wife, no, Rob, it's possible here. we got to pray about it, you know. And we were praying about it and, and uh, met the realtor, and uh, he told us it solicited... Uh, for $1.8 million. And he said, how much money do you have? And I said, well, nothing. <laughs> and so he's looking at me like cross-eyed, like why am I coming and talking to you? And I, and I joked with him. I said, well, I have an extremely rich father. <laughs> and he said, okay. <laughs> but I, I was just joking. <laughs> I said, I mean, $1.8 million. Then, 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 uh, we felt in prayer and through others coming and, and sharing with us that that building was going to go for 900000 And it's not that God's cheap. It's just that we were somehow going to get it for 900000 To me, it really wasn't that great, great of news anyway because if you have no money, it doesn't matter <laughs> whether it's 900000 or $1.8 It's like, if I can do it this way, it's like if you're standing on the edge of a cliff right? It really doesn't matter whether you're taking a 1.8 million leap 
or a 900,000 step. You're going over. And, and, and that's what I felt the Lord was doing. We were like, I don't know if we should be doing this. And like, so this isn't really a testimony of great faith. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was actually quite panicked about it. I was hoping that it would fall apart, you know, and I, I'd still come across looking like, well, we almost did it, Lord, you know. But, but I, <laughs> and then, uh, so, yeah, so it came down to a point where we had to say we're going to go for it. Um, God actually brought us to that place where we had to put our color on the fence and say, we're going to go for it, and we're believing God's going to give it to us for 900000 And so, all right, we took the step. And um, once we took that step of faith, God took a step towards us. Because when you step out in, in, in something that's risky, and I think we all need to sometimes risk a little more, um, God cheers us on. So we took this risky step, and we believed, God, you're in it. And uh, Fran wanted to take me to this um, meeting where a guy named Bobby Connor was speaking. And he's known internationally as a prophet. And I'm fine. Prophets are great. And... Uh, I've got a few jokes about prophets, but I shouldn't tell that here. But they're, they're fine. They're good. I, I love the, the now word of God that, they, that a prophet can bring into a situation. But I didn't want a prophetic word. I, I felt, you know what? I know what I'm called to do. I'm, I'm called to establish this national house of prayer. I'm already panicked enough because I have to somehow come up with $900,000. And, and so don't confuse it. And so we went to this meeting, and I avoided eye contact with this guy. <clears throat> you know, I didn't want to look like, hey, prophesy over me. No way. <laughs> Do not. And so he, he, he's ending the evening, right? And he had, he had some amazing words for people. He, had, he was an awesome teacher of the word. And then he's, so he's saying, thanks for coming and everything. And I'm going, good, let's go. Let's, it's time to go. <laughs> but then he said, you. And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, yes. <laughs> he said, I see something. I see, I see like an archway and I see a, a, like a poster and it says China. He says, I see China behind you. And I'm going like, oh no, he's going to start telling me I'm going to China, you know. And, 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 and he said, yes, have you, I see Chinese people around you. I, I, you know, I, I see this. And he says, have you ever been to China? And I said, no. And, and do you want to go to China? No. <laughs> and then I realized there's this girl behind us that her name is Michelle. She works with us now, who had been to China nine times. And he said three times, he said, I see China behind you. And I said, wait a minute. This isn't for me. This is for her, Miss China. And he said, no, it's not. It's for you. And so about five weeks after that, we were contending in prayer for this building. God, how are we ever going to raise 900000 if we get it for 900000 And um, the realtor, uh, he had us on this balcony in the, in the house of prayer now. And he said, look, there's the parliament over there. This is a non-Christian realtor. And then he said, look, there's China behind you. <laughs> and I said, what did you say? And he said, there's China behind you. And I spin around. And the first thing I see was an archway and a straight line to the front door of the Chinese embassy with their flag flying, which is really called China. And 
God, I immediately had all these God bumps, goosebumps, and uh, I knew God had just spoken. God spoke through a prophet, and now I witnessed it. And then we watched God speak through um, various ministries across Canada, and we watched people give towards this ministry called the National House of Prayer. We had one couple, they, they uh, said, we're going to live on porridge for the next month, and we're giving our grocery money. Another little kid broke her piggy bank and sent in all the money. And we watched people give towards where we, we had the, uh, well, actually, I didn't tell you that. We had to raise $500,000 in three months. Um, I don't know if you've ever had to do that, but, but um, God provided. And we got the building for 900000 is what the Lord showed us. And that's in Ottawa, and it belongs to the church. We facilitate what God's given. And so that's, that's kind of where we are now. But to get into that place, God, he, had, he was in a place of educating us and, first of all, bringing us to a place of revelation of coming to know him. Um, my wife became a Christian a year before me. And, um, and she would come into the house with little tracts and lay them around for me, hoping I'm going to read them. Or she'd come in with uh, people from their church and uh, try to want to sit and talk with me. And I didn't want to talk with them, so I'd go grab a Lucky Lager beer, and I'd, I'd sit there and, and watch sports or do something else. I didn't want to talk. And so how are they going to get me into the kingdom? And um, so they, they put me on what's called a prayer hit list. <laughs> it's like a mug shot, you know, you're on the wall and, you know, Get him, Lord. And, uh, <clears throat> and this, I was working in Libya on the oil rigs at the time. I was in there for six years. And, uh, and Fran, she felt so desperate about this, she found my little Bible, the one they give you in grade five. Do you remember those little Bibles? Mine was a little gold one. And, uh, and it was from the Gideons. And uh, she stuck that Bible in my bag. And I didn't know it. But I went into work, into Libya, and usually your bags get checked quite a few times. Actually, on the tarmac in Athens, where we used to live, and in Tripoli, Benghazi, and then into the desert. And um, you're not allowed to bring literature, especially like a Bible. They never opened my bag the first time. And I went into the desert and um, opened my bag, and there I find a Bible. So then I was mad. One is that I, this, I could have gotten in a lot of trouble. But two, that you know she's trying to talk me into this again. So I, I was going to throw my grade five Bible into the sump, the sewer of the rig. And I'm about to throw it, and I felt, wait a minute. Okay, I'll look at this to prove she's in a cult. <laughs> You're relating to this, right? <laughs> And so, and so, and so, uh, <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll read it, and you know, and I read the Sermon on the Mount, and and uh, found it actually, okay, this is pretty pretty good writing, and I I, uh, I went through Matthew's Gospel. I said, okay, now I'm going to try another. I'll try read another book of the Bible. I tried, let's try John's Gospel. And in the book of John's gospel, I got hung up on the word believe. If you believe, you will have eternal life. And I'm going, what's the difference? I, so what if I believe that this happened? What's the difference to me 
now. What, why would that make so much of a profound difference? And then, like, no one told me that there's a Holy Spirit or that there's a, you know, a Father. I just know, okay, God. And now with this, I felt this little subject of belief, um, there's something missing. And now I know what happened. The Holy Spirit came to me in the middle of the Sahara Desert. And instead of the word believe, he began to, every time I saw the word believe, I, I used the word trust instead, right? So then I started to read it, and trust has a, it's an action word, it's a now word. It's not something that you can believe, okay, that happened, but it's now what do you do about it? A trust. And so I, I, I started to read John's gospel, and you, you can look at the amount of times, I didn't count them, but he talks about believing there, and I began to insert the word trust, and so in John chapter 3, as I went back and forth through the book of John, and chapter 3, in verse 36, I'll get there. I'm re uh, this is a new Bible I've got in front of me. Uh, that uh, Elvin, right? No. Elwin. Elwin uh, loaned me. And, and in, in John chapter 3, it says... This is what I read. <clears throat> he who trusts in the Son has eternal life. He who, do not, who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I just read out of you the translation out of a, a Messianic Bible. In my Bible at the time, this little Gideon New Testament, it was believe. But somehow God inserted the word trust. And then I find out, after I had become a Christian, later, many years later, that um, a Jewish Messianic Bible translation of John's Gospel always uses the word trust. Interesting. And so I went behind a sand dune back in 1982, in February 1982, because a lot of people were praying for me. I was on the hit list. I didn't have a lot of choice. And, <laughs> and when no one was looking... I trusted that this salvation was somehow for me. And I, uh, I asked Jesus into my heart that he would uh, allow me to come into the family and, uh, and that he would forgive my sin. And so there were no other Christians to sit down with and have a cup of tea and talk about Jesus. All right? And so it was, you're all on your own. I... Uh, there's different things that happened out there in the middle of the desert with just me and a Bible and God. I, uh, in one time, I was reading in John chapter 10, where it says, My sheep hear my voice and come out from amongst the rest, and they follow the shepherd. And I'm going like, I didn't hear God speak to me. I definitely felt like there might be a God. But there were no bells going off and nothing like that. And I threw the Bible under the bed and said, I guess I'm not a Christian. I went up onto the rig floor. I got into an argument. And we had to go um, drive to an oasis town called Jilo and try and settle this whole thing. And um, I, we had to phone Benghazi from this town of Jilo. And I went for a walk in this oasis town where all these shepherds were, they had all their sheep all mixed up in this ravine. 
and probably over 300 sheep, and they were bartering for them. And I'm going like, man, they're all, they're all mixed up. They're going to slaughter them all. What are they going to do? And uh, I sat and watched this for quite a while. And then when they were finished, one shepherd would go to the perimeter, and he would begin to call out and he'd walk away. And all the sheep that were his heard the shepherd's voice and began to follow their shepherd. Another little kid would go up there and he began to whistle and walk away. And the sheep that recognized the whistle came out and followed him. Another shepherd would go and he would call out and the sheep would follow. Some would start to follow. Well, nope, that's not it and go back. And I watched this happen until five shepherds went in different directions across the desert with their sheep following them and all the sheep that were left were bound up about to be slaughtered and I realized that's what I read that morning and I somehow knew that the penny dropped that that was God speaking to me in the middle of the Sahara Desert with no other person there to tell me about God and God somehow orchestrated events that I saw in living color what I had read that morning I knew God just spoke from heaven and I knew I was a Christian amen <clears throat> and then I'd have things like I'd have a dream I had this dream I can remember like do you remember dreams I had this dream as a brand new Christian of my body in all different kinds of parts in a big thorn bush and it was all mixed up your arms over there your leg and your head and it, like that and there was this incredible singing as my body was being taken out of the thorn bush and be put back together and so like I knew that that's salvation and I remember we were I can't tell you the denomination we were attending a church in Athens Greece and uh and uh so first of all I was really annoyed Fran told me that it was uh 10 percent of my of my paycheck uh was um <clears throat> the the cost of this club you know <laughs> there's a lot of adjustments you make you know and and then and then but but anyway, in that particular church, I, I, I told them, look, I had this dream. Like I, and they said, no, God doesn't speak like that today. I go, why not? <laughs> oh, he just doesn't speak like that. And, and somehow, in the midst of that, you know, because you look up to these guys, God was watching over both me and Fran, and we knew that wasn't true. We knew that God had spoken to us. He speaks to us now one way, now another way, though man, poof, may miss it. And that's right out of the book of Job. And we knew God was speaking to us. There was another time I was in the desert where, I, I, I mean, in that church, it was a good church outside of that. They, they helped me and discipled me. They gave me these little IVP Bible study books of one book of the Bible at a time, quite academic, really. And I would go in and take it apart, going through one book of the Bible. But there were things I was, I was having questions with. And, and, and even in my first few months of becoming a Christian, I was wondering, like, maybe this is stupid. Maybe it's not real. And um, did any of you ever feel like that, maybe? And, uh, and I, I'd go, I, I had a habit of going and sitting with these guys from Sudan and the Chad. And Chad, they were laborers. They'd put their blankets out and make really strong, strong tea. <laughs> and... Um, you know, and, and so I'd go and sit under the stars of the Sahara with these guys, and, um, and they'd listen to the radio. And they'd want to tune into a radio station that was unbiased. And uh, so they would tune outside of Libyan uh, radio waves. And they'd often get this one station, it was all in Arabic, and they would translate it to me. And um, they were telling me the news and everything else. 
And then after the news, they, this guy, he keeps talking, and they start translating a, a, a Bible story to me because this guy, he's, an, he's a Christian, and they're broadcasting from Cyprus, and it's, it's coming into the middle of the Sahara Desert. And so here I am, I'm being discipled by these Muslim Arab people in the middle of the Sahara Desert um, through a radio station, and God was that concerned. And, and often the very questions I had, they were telling me the answers. Hallelujah. <laughs> that God. And so we began right, right away of learning that God speaks today. And God brings us into a place of revelation. That Christmas is that people walking in darkness have seen a great light or a great revelation of God. That I was in a place of darkness and God was bringing me into his light. I was beginning, things were clicking. I was beginning to understand, okay, I know why I'm created. I, there's, there's reason to this, to this life I'm living. And, and uh, three more years in, in the Sahara, we saw five of the guys come to know Jesus on the rig. Five of those guys. And I, I used to put um, books on parenting, books on, on marriages, and books on faith in the, in the library, public library for the whole rig. And I'd come, and there's another book gone, there's another book gone. And, and it was kind of private in that way, but these guys who came to the Lord in the middle of the desert, awesome. And then uh, God called me out of there in very clear fashion. There was a guy who was... Um, he was in his 60s. He was in poor health, smoking big cigars, and um, in bad, uh, you know, here he is in 120-plus temperature, and uh, um, he's trying to earn enough money to retire at 60. He tells me how in his earlier years, how he was going after the big mighty dollar, and at the time, it meant he was away for nine months out of the time, at a time, out in Africa and different places around the world, how his marriage fell apart, how his one son was killed in an industrial accident, how the da his daughter had abandoned him, how he lost everything. In, 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 uh, he put all his money in water trucks and on rigs, and the money, the barrel, the, the barrel per dollar fell apart, and he lost a lot of his investment. And there he is now in the middle of the desert trying to earn enough money to retire. And I had been offered a job <clears throat> on that trip coming in where we would have been set as far as man's concerned. You would have had, we would have done really well. And, um, but I realized, you know what, there, I'm just hearing something from him, and I need to value things more than I value going after a dollar. So I went back and I opened up my Bible from where I had ended, which is in Deuteronomy chapter 8, where it was very clear that, that the Lord your God has led you in the desert all these last 40 years to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. He humbled you and caused you to hunger and, uh, and feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your forefathers knew, um, to bring you into this place, into this place where you would lack nothing. And, and I realized this was from the Lord. God was speaking to me loud and clear. And I left the oil rigs. I went and I studied in Northern Ireland in Belfast in Queen's University Irish Baptist. And it wasn't, you know, I, I, I wasn't like the model student. I was the first student in the history of the Irish Baptist to fail the homiletics exam. <laughs> they let me rewrite it. <laughs> they sent a remedial reading uh, coach to help me because I, I could read, but it would take me like a year to read a book. <laughs> and so they, they sent this remedial reading coach to help me. And um, 
because they saw a call on my life. And they, they I, I, I finished, I, I graduated, and God brought us back to Canada. I pastored in, in um, the Okanagan, in Vernon. And uh, during pastoring, I, I was doing all I could to build a good church. Um, I was actually sent with the Baptist General Conference to the, this church that was kind of half the congregation was Pentecostal. So I was sent with the, with the job description of rid the Pentecostals of the church, get them out of there. Some of you think that's funny, some of you don't think that's funny. And, <laughs> and so yeah, I had to get them out of there and turn it into a good, a good Baptist church. And uh, I remember once I, I went upstairs and, and there were all these seven ladies around a, like a fire, like a pretend fire blowing on it and speaking in tongues and I said you can't do that this is a Baptist church you can't do that and they didn't leave though <laughs> and I uh, I was doing all I could to build the church and then two of the uh, women aglow at the time which is Pentecostal two of the presidents of women aglow were part of the church and you know I was supposed to get them out of there and this one, one Sunday after I'd been preaching my heart out, I was sitting at the door, shaking hands with everybody as they came by. And then they came up to me and they said, Pastor, we're just wondering how much are you praying about what you're preaching about? Ooh. And I said, I gave them the best answer I could think of. I said, I'm the pastor of the church. <laughs> That's a pretty dumb answer. <laughs> and then I said, well you know, you need to pray for me because this is a really tough job, you know, and you always put the ball back in their court. But the thing is, they did. They prayed for me. And I would go from Sunday to Sunday, I'd be preaching, and there they were staring at me. I knew what they were thinking. How much are you praying about? So I'd kind of speak to this side of the church. And, <laughs> but then I, I, I'd, I'd gone and I tried to find as many books as I could on revival. And I found that in every revival, Every revival began with a prayer movement of a few people. And so I was realizing there's something to this. I did a pretty good job praying in front of people, but not a very good job praying on my own. <laughs> and they knew it because God knew it. But they weren't telling, they weren't broadcasting to everybody that you have a prayerless pastor. It's interesting that he who begins a good work in you will bring it to completion. Now I'm the founding director of what's called the National House of Prayer. And, and so I began to um, soak up these books and realize I need to do something about my prayer life. It wasn't that I wasn't a Christian. I was just lacking in this personal prayer. And so I began to prayer walk Vernon. That's where I pastored. And it took two years to prayer walk all of Vernon, every avenue and every street. Prayer walking and uh, asking God to give me a burden for the lost because when you don't pray, you, you begin to lose a burden to see people come to Jesus. To give me an idea of holiness because again, when you draw close to a holy God, he's a holy God who makes you holy. Give me uh, a greater revelation of his direction and not just my ideas because he does exceedingly abundantly more than all we could ever ask or imagine. That God would bring me into this place where I'd, I'd pray for individuals and I'd be praying over a household where all the front yard is toys all over the place and beer cases in the carport 
and I'd be standing out there praying and the, and the dad would come out, what's going on? And I'd be, I'd, God was filling me with a new boldness and I'd tell him, you know what? I was just praying for you, praying for you as a dad. How's it going? And amazing how that guy could have just knocked my lights out, but God was in it and how he said, I need prayer. And God began to open doors. I would have a second office at Starbucks restaurant where I would be prayer watching. It became known that this pastor and a couple of other pastors, because it was spreading, show up there two days a week and non-Christians would show up and ask to be prayed for. See, it's one thing to talk, try and talk someone into becoming a Christian and tell them about God. But when we found that they were willing to really bring a prayer request and we prayed for them, so often it wasn't us telling them about God, but God would demonstrate himself by answering their prayer. And then they'd come back and say, there's something to what you're doing. There's something to this God. I need to find out more about him. And so we would do that. And people began coming to our church and the church was exploding in prayer. This one time, my dog and I, he knew all the choruses by now, and I, I'm walking my, my lab in prayer, and, and he takes off into the bush. And I think, you know, he's chasing a deer, and I, I chase after him. And I find him in this clearing. About 45 minutes later, he's shaking. And in that clearing, they had set, someone had set up all these logs as a pentagram. And there's all these tinsels in, and, and stuff in the tree and there was a, a face of Satan on a plaque on a tree. It was a satanic place of worship in a high place over Vernon. And God took my Labrador retriever up 45 minutes to take me to that place. A dog. <laughs> and prayer. And I, I took it apart. I took the plaque down with another pastor. I was too freaked out to do it myself. We burnt it. But God showed me as I was looking over the city that, Rob, I've not called you into pastoring your own local church only, but I've called you into pastoring the city. But I realized that that wasn't just something for me, but that is something for every Christian wherever we are. He's called us to bring influence of the gospel. He's called us to bring that, that living life that's in us to touch the world around us. That it's not a dead religion, that it's a living truth. It's real. And so it wasn't long after that that I was sitting again in Starbucks restaurant, drinking a strong Americano. Who said that? <laughs> you could get me one tomorrow. Yeah. But, and I, I felt the Lord say, Rob, you've done what I've told you to do about prayer walking and growing in prayer. And now I want you to prayer walk from Calgary to Ottawa. And I want you to be in Ottawa July 1st, 2000. And so is that the coffee or is that God? <laughs> That's a legitimate question. And so I shared with other people about, was this God or was this the coffee? And they prayed about it. And they got back to me and felt there was something about the fingerprint of God on this. Being a good Baptist background, I'm sorry, but I, I still need more. I need the word of God to show me. Any Baptists here? <laughs> and so I'd looked over with a map with my son of Calgary to Ottawa along the Trans-Canada Highway. And if as a team you walked 50 kilometers a day, 
You could prayer walk from Calgary to Ottawa. It would take exactly 73 days. So I figured, that's not God. (laughs) I said to my son, if it's from God, he'll show us in his word. The word was, you need to be in Ottawa July 1st, 2000. All right, God, if this is from you, you need to speak to me loud and clear. I prayed in my son. We went to bed in France reading our one-year Bible. Highly recommend it. Out of Ezra. And Ezra said, on April 19th, we broke camp at Havacanal and made our way towards Jerusalem, the capital city, and the gracious hand of God was upon us. I said, April 19th. And I ran and grabbed the calendar and counted all the days from April 19th to July 1st. 73 days. And I lay there that night laughing and then crying. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing I'm going for this crazy walk. And then I had to go to the church board, mostly Baptist board, and say, I need a three-month sabbatical because God's called me to do this prayer walk. I felt like I needed a staff, you know. And and they laughed, and they pulled out an envelope written by the the district executive minister of Baptist General Conference Churches in British Columbia. It said, if you have a senior pastor who's been in your church 10 years or longer, I highly recommend that that senior pastor gets a three-month sabbatical. And so God was calling us, and God was bringing us into a schoolhouse of prayer. We thought we knew how to handle in prayer, but then we discovered as you walk along the highway for 10 hours a day that prayer is not so much you talking. Prayer is listening. Prayer is coming into the place of understanding how God can speak to us. Now one way, now another way. How we, maybe 25% of prayer is us talking in response, coming into the dialogue, not the monologue of prayer. On the first day of the walk, I'm walking along and I'm feeling like Baptocostal, right? I am. I'm in, I'm in this bubble of God. You know, I'm doing this wild thing for the Lord. I'm walking to Ottawa. Hallelujah. All these, you know, people are waving because this guy's got his hands, you know. And I'm, I'm just going down the highway. Don't believe me, my eyes were open as I was praying. And And um, I'm going down the highway praying in this bubble of God, tangible, this place of obedience and how God so comes and charges the atmosphere in this extreme radical obedience. I'm in that place praying and I see this guy on a horse. He's about a quarter mile away. And I just said, God, touch that man. And the guy falls off the horse. So... It could have been just the timing that he jumped off exactly at that time. I don't know. But the horse was just grazing and you couldn't see the guy. And it was prairie mud, so I'm not walking out there. Besides, I got a job to do. And and down the highway we go. I don't know what happened to that guy. But (laughs) So we keep going down the highway. And And then, you know, later I see this field that's limp and dead after winter. And I'm going, God. Winter is gone, spring has come, let a prairie fire come and burn up that which is dead and gone and let that wind of God blow this fire across our nation. Like, wow. And, you know, Jack Ferguson's with me trying to calm me down, telling me not to point my finger at him. And I'm just, and, and so we go down the highway, we finish the walk 50 kilometers in Strathmore and we now are being driven back to Calgary. <laughs> All the traffic on the highway is being stopped. We're in a van, full van, and, and we get up to where all the traffic's, why it stopped, and there's, 
There's two police cars, there's farmers, and that field I prayed for is now on fire. It burnt. The wind had blown the fire across into the other, other fields and beyond the horizon, and the fear of the Lord filled the van. Amen. And, and God was shaking our world up. That we can actually come into a place of praying a now word of what the Lord would call us to. Okay, I, got, I don't think I have a lot long, <laughs> much time. There's a lot to say of how God has brought us into that. That whole idea of the National House of Prayer was birthed from that place of prayer. And uh, on the Trans-Canada Highway. Um, God's given us a burden for the nation. Um, I, pray, I pray for different MPs in, in different parts of our nation. Uh, we do that on a regular daily basis. We pray. When I'm praying for you guys up here, I think about you. I know some of you. I pray for God's blessing up here. And yet at the same time, if I can really be human with you, I, I was saying to the Lord about a, uh, now just about a year and a half ago, I was saying, God, let me go back to BC now. That's where I was pastoring. I, I've done a good, you know, I've established the National House of Prayer. Let someone else run it now. Because I, I'm getting word from my son and my daughter. Uh, Dad, come on back now. You guys, you, you did what you said you were going to do. You established the National House of Prayer. Come on back. And I'm going like, absolutely. <laughs> I want to come back to my kids. And um, then, then Rob and Brandy, our, our son and daughter-in-law, they had Elspeth, a baby, uh, little baby girl. And I'm going like, for sure. I don't want to be an absentee grandfather. I want to be back there. And it'd be nine years we prayed for them to have a baby. They were told by the doctors they can't get pregnant. Don't ever just... God, God did that. And so I, uh, I really wanted to go. And I was out wrestling with God. This is this. I think this is part of the journey. Um, it's not all a, a really glowing report. It's like, it, but it's real that we, we can sometimes question God or disagree with God or say, why is this happening? I do. And I'm out walking along. I, I've been wrestling God for at least two months about this, saying, I need your amen, God. I need to go back to BC. I'm walking along the Gatineau River and I look up. Uh, right above me is a half a rainbow, completely formed half a rainbow. I've never seen one before. I'm looking, I'm going like, <clears throat> are you saying, God, that if I go now, I get half the promises? Half a rainbow. So I said to God, in front of my witness, my dog, Oakley, <laughs> I said, God, if I get to the bridge, which is going to take at least seven more minutes, I'm good at timing and walking. It'll take me seven minutes to get to the bridge. If I get to the middle of that bridge and turn around and look, if that rainbow, I've never seen a half a rainbow. If that rainbow is complete, and if the National House of Prayer, which you can see where the church steeple is in the center, okay, I'll stay. And so I get there. I didn't want to look up. <laughs> Made enough time. All right, I look up, and there it is, a complete, fully formed rainbow with a second rainbow beginning to form above the first one and the National House of Prayer right in the center. And so God was speaking to me in my spirit. 
you're called. You're called to stay here and pray for our nation. And so I said, okay, God, but then what happened in my life? And I want to just really, the word of God began to wash me. All of my desire began to be washed off. And my desire became filled with a zeal for God and his desire for this nation. Does that make sense? God was washing me. And I, and I was in this place, okay, Lord, I'm called to this and I'm going to run with it. <laughs> Even though some people were disappointed about that. And I, we, then uh, Elspeth, our granddaughter, uh, you see, God said, if you stay here, I will look after everything else. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. All these other things shall be added unto you. Does that include my family, God? Yes, Rob, I'll look after your family. And so I'm, <clears throat> I'm actually out in uh, Calgary visiting with my son and daughter-in-law. And um, uh, Brandy phoned. Uh, my son was just about to play in a concert. And he, had, he got dragged off because... They just discovered, well, they, they, they thought this may have been the case, only they didn't tell us that Elspeth has 37-degree scoliosis of the spine. 37-degree at four months old is quite severe. And um, so they were saying that, you know, they're, they're going to have to put rods in her or whatever, there are lots of surgery and stuff, but they won't be able to fully correct it because it's so bad how it built up on her hip. And, but yet, she's my granddaughter, and she's a miracle, and I love her. And yet, I was holding her one, one of those days there, and I was praying, God, you said you'd look after my children. I have to just trust you in this, and I'm praying for my granddaughter, Elspeth. And, you know, sometimes when you're praying, a, a verse will come into your mind. As I'm holding her, praying, a verse popped into my mind, he makes the crooked places straight. And I said, that's not my imagination. This is God. I didn't just make that up. It was God coming and bringing revelation. And so I, was, I shared with Fran and Rob and Brandy, our daughter, Andrea, that that verse, we need to continue to pray it. And so we kept praying it. I prayed it every day. As a matter of fact, though, just to make sure you know I'm human, there were times I fell asleep, forgot to, and God would wake me up. Rob, you forgot to pray. Now, how, how do you figure that out? A sovereign God. And yet he values prayer that much. That he raises up and chooses to primarily work through the prayers of his people on this earth. Can you work that one out? You forgot to pray for Elspeth. Well, God, couldn't you do it on your own? <laughs> and I'd get up and I'd pray for Elspeth. And this went on day after day after day. And then I'm on Silver Star Mountain. I'm up there with a member of parliament. I'm up there with another Christian leader. I'm there and I'm in this bubble. It happens from time to time. <laughs> I'm in this bubble just about now. I'm in this bubble on Silver Star Mountain. And, and tangibly, God, this leader's down on the ground and he's weeping. This member of parliament is standing there with his Bible open, but he can't say anything. That's a miracle. And <laughs> I had to say it. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. His Bible is open to Isaiah 45. 
Cyrus my anointed. And I, I took his Bible and I began to read it out loud over the city of Vernon. Cyrus my anointed. How he opens the treasures that are hidden in the depths and he opens those doors. But then it goes on to say, and he will make the crooked places straight. And I said, wait a minute, God, that, that's for Elspeth. And then God so clearly said to me, in the same way, the same compassion that you're praying for your granddaughter Elspeth, are you willing to pray for Canada? Are you willing to pray that I, God, am able to make that which is crooked in our nation straight? And I said, God, you're asking me to sacrifice my, again, my granddaughter, that I'm, as I'm calling out, you're asking me to put my focus on our nation. He says, are you willing to go deeper so you can go further? I said, yes, God. And so I've been praying, God, with all the things of where we're seeing our nation rush into secular humanism. I'm praying, God, you can make this nation straight. We had a phone call about a few weeks after that, and Robin Brandy had taken Elspeth to the doctor, and he said, well, we got to do some x-rays because they, they got to put her in a body cast for 18 months to start things. They took her to the specialist, and, and he said, well, it's different. There's something not quite right. And um, they took her into the x-ray room, and um, <clears throat> my son said that it's like the presence of God came into the x-ray room. And little Elspeth, because it's traumatic now for a six-month-old to be x-rayed because they have to strap them down. And he said that Elspeth just rolled over and put her face flat down and stretched her arms out. That doesn't happen. They easily strapped her in, they x-rayed her, and her back is absolutely straight. They, they, after a year, they x-rayed her again, and it's absolutely straight. The doctor said, you can't do that. You can't shake the spine out like that. He said, this doesn't work like that. And it's clear, they got the x-ray, and now it's straight. And it's obvious the same child is in the x-ray. And he said, you must have a praying family. And then I find out that the Greek of crooked, when you look at it in Luke chapter 3, the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord. And he shall make the crooked places straight. Crooked in the Greek is scolio. So as I was literally holding my granddaughter with scoliosis, God is saying he can make the scolio straight. And so, and so, and so I believe now every time I look at Elspeth, God is reminding me he can make this nation straight. He can make this nation straight. The same God who's able. Nothing is impossible with him. And that God is simply looking for the Christians, the church now, to rise up in faith and believe that God is a God who hears and answers prayer, that he leads us in that place, in that journey of prayer. He takes us deeper so that we can go further, so that the kingdom of God will advance and not retreat in our land. 
And God is looking for the spirit of prayer to descend upon our cities, to descend upon the churches, where, where prayer is not something as a, as a, t- a little 10-second uh, interruption, that prayer, meaningful prayer, would begin to be proclaimed from our pulpits and, and in the lives of believers everywhere across this nation, that God will birth in us his will, that God would birth in us his burden to see people come to Jesus. I'm trying to hold on. <laughs> I got, it's already quarter past nine. I, I feel that um, the enemy, just let me say this, has tried to make prayer as an awkward subject, an awkward subject where people don't know. They become awkward in prayer, awkward, like, what do I say now? I said what I need to say. I don't know what else to say. And, and I really feel that God, the enemy tries to turn things around and make prayer so condemning that you can't pray, you can't, and it's like a message we don't want to hear. But listen, God celebrates a 10-second prayer that's of the heart as much as he celebrates a 10-minute prayer of the heart. God celebrates anyone who's earnestly seeking God and, and able to say, God, here I am. I'm, I, I really am trying to seek you, Lord. God celebrates that. He's a God who, who seeks to draw close to us as we draw close to him. He cheers us on. Let me end it with this. In this church that I pastored in, in, in Vernon, we had this one guy, hair down to his butt, two, tattoo, six foot five, biker, um, married uh, a, a girl from our church, and uh, I wasn't happy about that. Tattoos all over him. <laughs> he he uh, became a Christian. I was happy about that. But then he said, you know, I want to do something. I want to, and, and he also worked as a bouncer in a cabaret. He said, I'd like to be a greeter at the door. Now, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you, like, no, no, you shouldn't do that. Like, and so I said, okay, but I put the gentlest older lady with him, sweet older lady, and, and things were going okay until one day there was quite a loud complaint coming, and, and it was that this family came in, and the girls were dressed inappropriately. And he said, you can't come to church like that. You go home and change. And he sent them home. So now there was a lot of angry, you know, these, there was a lot of anger. And, <laughs> and so I had to correct all that and everything. But <clears throat> after a while of, of um, walking with him, he ended up um, coming to me in my office and saying, you know what, I know, you know, you tell me I'm a Christian. I think I am, but I can't pray. He said, I get... Five seconds, I mean, you, you do it, you demonstrate it, but I can't do it. I get five seconds of prayer, and that's it. I said, he said, I can't really get anywhere with it. And so I, I took, I said, listen, let's do it together. And I, I said, let's open the Bible, and I'd, I'd show him a little verse, and I'd say, let's pray that verse. And I would repeat the verse, and I'd, I'd say a short prayer and ask him to do the same. He says, what, copy you? I said, exactly, just copy me. He would copy me like that. Good, you did it. And, and then we would go a little bit further and where he was turning that five-second prayer into a 20-second prayer. And I said, look at all heaven celebrating and rejoicing. You just had a 20-second prayer. You just quadrupled your prayer life. <laughs> and he goes, really? Yeah. He started coming back and, and we went through this for a month where we moved from going a couple minutes to 10 minutes to 15 minutes to 20 minutes of prayer. We were outside walking around the building with the Bible, praying the word, and he was praying now 20 minutes, this guy. 
And then this, I'm cutting it short. This one Saturday, he shows up. His hair is all cut, and uh, he's all dressed up. And he said, uh, tomorrow is Mother's Day, and I need to tell you, the reason I uh, have been coming to you to teach me how to pray is that I found a diary under my wife's bed, and in that diary it said how she longed for a husband who would pray with her. And he said, tomorrow on Mother's Day, I'm taking, her name was Jewel, I'm taking Jewel for a walk, and my Mother's Day present to her is that I'm, as her husband, I'm going to pray with her 20 minutes as we go on that walk. And that's the greatest gift I can give her. And I want to say to, you know, marriages here, to guys, that this is so important, that we at these days are praying couples. So we heard it from Alvin about your grandparents, right? That we, we duplicate that. We pray with our wives. And wives, you pray with your husbands. That God would cause our homes to be houses of prayer. And God would bless us as a result. I pray for you guys up here. That God would move. I pray for revival in your cities. I pray for revival in Roblin. I pray for revival. I pray for revival here in Yorkton. God, I'm asking right now, Lord, that God, that there would not come a message of condemnation, but a message of hope, a message of, that is true, a message that is real. Would you stand with me, please? God, we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that there would come hearts that earnestly desire, God, that we would seek you with all our hearts, that we know that your word says that we, you, we will be found by you. God, if we seek you in that way, that if we call unto you, that you will respond and teach us great and mighty things that we do not know. Father, we pray right now that you'd grace us with again the desire to call on the name of, of the Lord. God, that you would move, that you would put in us, God, a heart of flesh. Lord, that we would respond to you, Lord. Forgive us for any prayerlessness. Forgive us for this lack of prayer. God, we pray that we thank you that you who begins a good work in us will bring it to completion. God, let that come up into our lives in a greater and greater way that we'd walk in step with you, Holy Spirit, that we would trust you fully. And God, every one of us would have a testimony being able to stand up here in this journey of the Lord, of how God, you do much more than we could ever ask or imagine. So God, I pray, grant each person your grace right now. That, Lord, all of us would be known as those who, are, who call on the name of the Lord and give ourselves no rest and give you no rest, O oh God, until you come and establish your will for this place, for your city, God, for Jerusalem, God. We pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.